Thanks, Jared. Greatest of these is love. First Corinthians 13. Well, it's a new year, and I wonder if some of you have made resolutions of some kind. And there's always a debate. Do you make New Year's resolutions or not? I'm of the opinion that resolutions can be a good thing. And I'm not a big, I don't put the emphasis on the New Year's part. I put the emphasis on the resolutions part. Uh, you can make resolutions anytime. But I think resolutions are important. They're biblical. I mean, what is repentance if not a resolution to no longer sin? And so without that resolution, we would all be dead in our sins. And so I think life is a series of res resolutions and commitments that we make in the power and the strength of God. And so I, I like to try and make various resolutions from time to time. Some are uh, maybe spiritual and some less so. But I made a resolution this year that I was telling Rachel about yesterday that uh, I might regret. You might regret. But it's simply in, in terms of my own ministry practice. And that is I have resolved to at least learn to preach without my notes. Now, if I've been doing this for 20 years, and I'm really, really tied to that one way of, of doing things. And I'm not saying that I'll never go back. I want to learn, though, to try this differently. We'll see how it goes. This could be a really short sermon. <laughs> or it could be a really long one. We have no idea. But bear with me. And uh, I pray that the Lord's word will be the notes that we need, right? Um, it's been a great prayer week. We have uh, had three days now already of prayer. Today is our fourth day already as we gather together to pray. And it's been really good to see many of you come and be a part of that. And I know some of you have joined online for our Zoom gatherings, but it is such a good way to start the new year. We began on New Year's Eve with the Wesley Covenant Renewal Service. And Boy, as I went through that with the group, I, I had read it before, I had looked at it closely before, but I just realized again how much that, that service needs to come with a warning label because it's so intense, it's so serious that the, the commitment, the, the covenant commitment to start that new year in, in obedience to God, in, in really following in his ways. And it's just built from there. It's been great times of gathering. I hope that you can come and be a part if you haven't already. And if you have, continue to come and, and just wait upon the Lord. There's times of silence. There's times of, of praying and really, really good. It's, it's Our theme has been all things new. The Lord makes all things new. He has promised to do that. And that's how we're starting this new year. And it was great for Rachel and I to break out of quarantine and the first thing we got to do was to come to church to our prayer meeting on Thursday night and to share in that time together. It, many of you have, how many of you have been stuck in a quarantine situation now? I think a lot of us are starting to know that experience. Some of you maybe a couple of times. But, I mean, it's challenging. And, and, and all of us are challenged probably for different reasons and different ways. Uh, I know for us, being at, over Christmas, we missed a lot of the things we would have liked to have done to be able to gather together with uh, friends or, or family at certain times and stuff that we always do at Christmas. We just couldn't do it. But uh, God is faithful, 
and he does make all things new. And so we, we sense that renewal that he gives to us day by day. And I want you to turn now in your, in your Bibles to Revelation chapter 21. Revelation chapter 21, this is where our theme verse for prayer week comes from, particularly in verse 5. But we're going to look at verses 1 through 8 together this morning of Revelation chapter 21. Um, I'll give you a second there to, to find it if you're looking it up. But as you, once you get it there, I'll read it, and then we will seek God's strength as we dive into this text this morning. And if you're wondering where it's at, just uh, go to the very back of your Bible. Last, second to last chapter of the whole book. Revelation 21, verses 1 through 8. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. For the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Also he said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. The one who conquers will have this heritage, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. But as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, as for murderers, the sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. Let's pray. Father, I pray that you will um, uh, open your word to our hearts today, that we won't just see it with our eyes or hear it with our ears, but Lord, that we will have that spiritual sense that we need, that you impart by your spirit to respond to you. Lord, help me to explain this as best I can, and um, Lord, you have helped me to prepare, but Lord, I know that the, the reality is in, in this moment, as we come to your word together, I pray that you are the one who is magnified and that your word shines bright to us today. In Jesus' name, amen. So John is writing the book of Revelation uh, from the island of Patmos, and I looked it up on Google Earth this week. I love looking at things on Google Earth and getting that three-dimensional view, and I thought this island in the Aegean, it probably is like some sort of tropical paradise. It actually looked kind of desolate and dry. He was there as an exile. He wasn't there by choice. It wasn't as if John decided he was going to retire 
uh, in this tropical island of Patmos. He was sent there, some say, after having been persecuted severely, even possibly attempted to be boiled in a vat of oil, that uh, the Lord miraculously spared him from. That's just extra biblical tradition. But whatever the case, he's in Patmos. He's a very old man at this point, and he's writing the book of Revelation. And he's writing it to many churches, not just one. And it is this vision that he has, that God has given to him, of the last things, the things to come. And we're not going to look at the whole book of Revelation uh, at this time. We, I can't even summarize it all. But as we get to the very end of the book, chapter 20 deals with the defeat of Satan and the, the, the great white throne judgment. And we know we're getting right down to the end. And then chapters 21 and 22 uh, tell of the new heaven and the new earth, this new city that God brings to the earth and um, the river of life that flows through that city. And the whole promise of the, of the Bible is fulfilled in this vision that John sees. It's something really miraculous. And as we look at these verses this morning, verses 1 through 8, it breaks into basically two parts. The first part we can call the vision. The vision. And the second part we'll call the division. The division. And you'll see why as we get to it here in a moment. There's a vision, and then there's a division. And I want us to start by looking at the vision. This thing that, 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 that John sees, that God reveals to him. And as, as Christians, we need to understand that we have a vision. And it's not a vision like the world has a vision. When the world speaks of vision, they often have their vision statements. They have the things that their goals are, the things they hope to be true someday, the, 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 the company's corporate statement or the organization's uh, reason for being. Those things are good. They help to motivate us. They can help generate uh, people's uh, support financially or otherwise. But as Christians, we have to realize our vision is much bigger than that. When we speak of vision, we speak of something eternal. We speak of something certain. And we speak of something that, that John sees here. It cannot be shaken. It is something we believe by faith, but we know it to be sure. It's not just a wishful thinking sort of thing. And when John describes this vision to us, the words, there are no words to really explain all that he sees. But I want to just highlight a few things about this vision. Because everything here is new. Everything is new. And it's not necessarily new in the sense of chronologically new, but it's new in the sense of being refreshed, made alive again. It's new as in being renewed uh, in, 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 in new life. So he says he sees a new heaven and a new earth, a new heaven and a new earth. Sometimes we get this wrong idea in our heads that heaven is what we're looking forward to and that it's in some place far away in a galaxy or dimension in, in some other land floating on a cloud somewhere. But that's not the new heaven and the new earth that John describes here. Notice it's a heaven and earth. There's a real 
we, we reside on the earth in eternity future. And then he says, in this new heaven, in this new earth, he sees a new city, a new Jerusalem, and that this new Jerusalem comes down out of heaven from God to the earth. So again, this reminder, we will be on earth in eternity future. And that this new city has been prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. I did not select the music this morning, and I did not tell Stephanie as she picked out the songs what we would be studying this morning. Maybe she knew it was prayer week, but that song we sang earlier quoted this passage. This, this city coming down from heaven, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And so there is this new city, this new heaven, this new earth. And also there is a new people, a new people. He says, I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. This is verse three. He says, he will dwell with them and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. This new people will have God dwelling with them in their midst. And this is such a tremendous promise, something that we can really hope in and, and take hold of because it means we will see God. And that's one of the struggles we all have right now, isn't it? We can't see God. 2 Corinthians 5, 7 says, we walk by faith and not by sight. And that can be really hard when we go through dark days and when we go through hard times and deep struggles because we're really wanting something to, to, to grasp hold of, but we can't see it. That promise here is that there will be a new people with God. God will be present with us. And that'll be a great thing. And it also is interesting to note, uh, I can't say this with certainty, but look at verse 3 again. It says, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people. Now, there's a little note at the bottom of some of your Bibles, probably, at that word people, that says some manuscript says peoples. So some of the manuscripts put the people in the singular and some in the plural. We're not sure which it necessarily was in the beginning. It's not a, an earth-shattering difference, but it is an interesting thought to consider. If God says his dwelling will be with his peoples, it's a reminder that we are still distinct. There are different groups among us. There are different nationalities, different ethnicities, different uh, languages, different cultures. And isn't that so often what divides us, what creates tensions and what creates suspicions and what creates um, confusions and even violence? And yet he is saying here that in this new city, in this new heaven, in this new earth, there will be this new people or peoples that come together as one, as one with God in their midst. That when God is with us, those divisions don't necessarily disappear but the antagonism does. And there is unity of, 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 of being together as God's people. So we have the new heaven, the new earth, the new city, the new people. And then we also have a new life in the body. 
a new life in the body. He speaks in earlier chapters about the resurrection, and this is now after the resurrection of the bodies. And it says in verse 4, he will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. What a great promise. New life in the body. That uh, the, the pain that we feel right now, physical pain. Many of you struggle chronically with physical pain that just no medication seems to be able to take away. And so many people have, have, have turned to all sorts of methods of trying to deal with that pain, and it's so difficult, isn't it? And so often addictions form because the pain is so real and so overwhelming. But there's also the emotional pain that so many struggle with and the burdens that you bear and the, 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 the senses of, of, of guilt or of regret Maybe just even the undescribable uh, dread or just discouragement or anxiety. You can't even put a finger on exactly what it is, but it's not right. That pain, he says, will be no more. Can you imagine that? That pain will be no more. No mourning. Those who go through Christmas and New Year and say, how can everybody be happy and celebrating when I am still mourning? He says there will be no more mourning. I find it interesting. It says there will be no crying, but then he's going to wipe away every tear. I think the point here is clear. He will wipe away those tears. And I find it also interesting that it says he will wipe them away. That is, God is going to do this. He's not going to just send one of his little angels or other, you know, uh, servants around to, to wipe everybody's tears. He will do it. He will do it. What a great picture this is for us to, to fill our minds with as we start this new year. It says in verse 5, He who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. And also he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. There's some serious emphasis on this. When, we, when I picked this as our theme verse for prayer week, I, I, I realized it has so much around it that emphasizes its truthfulness. I am making all things new. This is a word coming from the throne of God, so that gives it authority. And then after saying it, he says, write it down. That has authority. He says, these words are trustworthy. That makes it authoritative. He says, these words are true. That makes it authoritative. I think God wants us to get this message. He is making all things new. But it's easy for us to forget that, isn't it? Easy for us to get pulled back into our old ways of thinking, our old habits. Boy, our habits don't help us here, do they? So that's the vision. But then there's the division. Verses 6 through 8 describe this division to us. It's the division between those who see the vision and those who don't. 
It's between those who thirst for what that vision offers and those who thirst for other things. First, those who thirst for it. It says in verse 6, He said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. The one who conquers will have this heritage, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. These are the overcomers. These are the ones who have thirsted for this vision and have now found the satisfaction for their thirst in the springs of the water of life. But then there are the others, and this division is between them. The cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, the murderers, the sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, liars. It says their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. And I know it's not popular to talk about hell these days. But if we're going to study the Bible, we're going to have to come to grips with the fact that the Bible speaks of these things. And that this is not something that... Uh, Christians just have made up. It's a hard truth, but it's a true truth. There is a division, and that division is eternal. And it's between those who have the vision and those who do not, those who thirst for that vision and those who thirst for other things. I think to help us understand this a little bit, we can put it into some context John is writing this to, like I said, a number of churches. And if you read the earlier part of Revelation, there are seven churches in particular that John mentions. And he has a special message for each one of them. And some of these churches are suffering because of persecution. They are really up against it. And they are uh, being, uh, some of them even killed for their faith. And so uh, there are those who are tempted to be cowardly, tempted to be faithless in the face of that struggle. And then there are other churches that he is writing to that they're not facing persecution so much, but their problem is indifference. Their problem is, you know, they're just starting to forget. Their life is kind of coasting along and they're entering the new year and they're thinking about their job and they're thinking about school and they're thinking about uh, their next uh, goal. They're thinking about that stimulus check that's supposed to be arriving any day. And, and then uh, they're thinking about everything but the vision. And these are the ones who are easily taken in by lies, idolatry, sexual immorality, and other sorts of things. But the question we have to ask ourselves is, how do we make sure that we know that when that division comes, we're among those who overcome? We're among the conquerors. We're among those who thirst. And I think therein lies the key. It's in that idea that he says there, to the thirsty I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. I want you to remember that verse above all else today. To the thirsty I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. Everything in this world seeks to 
cause you to thirst for other things. The world's all about stirring up your thirst. Every commercial you see, every ad you look at, every message that you get bombarded with, it's all about making you thirsty for something. But it's something that is temporal, something that is lifeless, something that is going to burn in eternity. But the Word of God stirs in us a thirst that is eternal, a thirst that gives life. He says, I will give from the spring of the water of life. And, you know, I was thinking to myself, we're so bombarded with ads and things trying to make us thirst, you know, whether it's for some new soft drink or some new car or some new whatever. Think about the Super Bowl and the ads or the bowl games that you watch and all the ads. and They're all trying to make you thirst for something new, something different, something that you think will satisfy but never does. What if, what if all of a sudden you're watching the Super Bowl and an ad comes up for heaven? What if God just suddenly bought out some airtime for the Super Bowl and put some ads for heaven? I don't even know what it would look like. I have no idea because we can't even visualize it. We're so fixated on being on thirsting after the things that we can see. If we can't see it, we don't know how to thirst after it anymore. And the truth of the matter is we cannot yet see the heaven that he has promised. We cannot yet see the God who will be at the center of it. And so because we can't see it, we have lost the ability to even thirst for it. That's a transformation God has to do in our lives and in our hearts. To teach us to thirst again. And I want you to see something else that's very, very important in this verse. He says, to the thirsty, I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. Don't miss that phrase. It is essential. Do not think I am going to earn my way into this vision. I am going to work my way into what God has promised here. This is without payment. We do not pay. Now, there was a payment made. Jesus made the payment. But you do not make the payment. The water is free. He says, come and drink. It's there. It's available. You don't buy it. You don't earn it. You don't work for it. It's free, and yet we miss it. We don't see it. And so we pass it by. What I want more than anything else is for this, us in this year to thirst, to thirst for this vision with a new desire. And I believe God stirs that desire in us as we pray. You know, when we pray, we often close our eyes. We don't have to close our eyes, but often we do it because we don't want to be distracted. And as I was thinking about this prayer week, I was thinking, what are all the things that that make prayer hard for me. And I will tell you, I struggle with prayer just like you do. But it's the distractions. It's the impatience. It's the things that constantly come into my mind that I think about other than prayer. It takes concentration to pray. But as we close our eyes and as we stop seeing all the other things, we seek a vision that comes from God of the promise that he has for us in his word. And it doesn't just happen instantly for most people. It takes time. It takes effort. But God cultivates this and does this in our hearts.
And I hope that that vision of heaven grips you as you enter this new year, this vision of all things new, this new heaven and new earth, this new uh, people, this new life in the body. And as I bring this to a close, I just, I want to share a story. Uh, I I heard this from, from James Dobson. I think it was on Focus on the Family one time, but he tells of a nurse that he knew uh, named Gracie Scheffler. Gracie Scheffler worked in a pediatric uh, unit, and she told him of how she had cared for a five-year-old boy who was dying of lung cancer. I just can't imagine that. Usually you think of lung cancer afflicting those who are older, but a five-year-old boy, and as, as she described the kind of things he, he suffered, it sounds a lot like the way some people suffer through covid when they get it really bad, that his lungs were constricted and he couldn't breathe and that sense of being claustrophobic and and just gasping for air. And just think of the fear and the terror that anyone would experience but a five-year-old boy as that cancer ravaged his body. And she, the nurse, uh, Gracie, described how she would go into the room and this little boy's mother would just hold him all the time. She was always there holding him, rocking him, talking to him, praying with him. She, she was a believer, and she had told her son about Jesus, and she had talked to him a lot about heaven, and she knew it wasn't going to be that much longer. And one afternoon, Gracie came into the room, and she heard this little boy telling his mom, I, I hear these bells ringing, the bells. They're ringing. And... Um, A little while later, Gracie came back into the room and she said she heard the boy again saying, Mom, Mom, I'm hearing the bells again. Those bells, they're they're still ringing. And Gracie tapped the mom on the shoulder and she said, I I know it's it's hard, but he's he's hallucinating now. And and this is one of the stages um, that he doesn't have much longer left to go. And he's hearing things. And um, the mom pulled her, 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 her little emaciated boy up close to her and looked up at this nurse and said, no, ma'am, I, I need to tell you that I told my son that whenever he, he feels the pain the worst and whenever he's struggling to get any air, I told him he needs to listen. He needs to listen for the bells of heaven ringing for him. And so every time he says that, it means he's hurting, but he's listening, and he hears what God is calling him. And Gracie said that he he died later that night in his mother's arms. But what a message. And you might say, oh, that's just sentimental stories. No, it's not. Whether or not the boy heard bells or whether he heard the sounds of angels singing it, that's not important. He knew where he was going. And he was captivated by that vision. And in the midst of his pain, that five-year-old boy's faith knew to thirst, to thirst for things eternal. He found the spring of the water of life. And I pray that each of us will find it 
whether we find it in the midst of pain or whether we find it in the midst of our indulgence, may that be the vision that fills our hearts. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for giving us this vision. We know it is true because your word says it's true. But Lord, we long to see it. We want to see it. And so I pray that as we bow our hearts and close our eyes and listen with our ears, the bells of heaven, the light that is the Lamb of God, the streets that are of gold will, will become more and more real to us as we seek you in this new year. In Jesus' name we pray.